born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Look in verse 20. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. I want to read these verses to you, down to verse 31, and then make some comments. Verse 20, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed, and says, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name? In Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But there lay in await was now known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to kill him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him forth to Tarsus. They had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. As you read this, you get a little bit of the idea how the ministry of the Apostle Paul began. Some of the problems that he had. Not everybody believed that he had really trusted the Lord. They were afraid of him. And then when he decided to preach boldly concerning Christ in the synagogue that this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. 
and explaining the deity of Christ, it caused no small dissension. It caused a lot of problems. There were the Jews that wanted to, to kill him. And then the Grecian Jews, the Hellenists, they wanted to kill him. He caused no small stir. I relate a little bit to this story. When I read this years and years ago, you see, I had gone to Florida Bible College, and all I wanted to do was just tell people how to have eternal life. I couldn't wait to get out of school. I was 22 when I went to Bible College with a wife and two children. Four years later, I'm leaving Florida Bible College. It was down in Miami, Florida. Dr. A. Ray Stanford was the president. All we had at the time was a little tent trailer that we picked up up here in Sebring, Florida, as we was coming around Lake Okeechobee. And as we came around and we saw this little pop-up tent, all we had was a car. And our whole family was in that car with everything we owned. And we're going to Indian camps. And all I had was a, a little bit of money, not a lot at all. And so I got this little thing. I thought it would help us to have a place to sleep. And we're off the Indian camps. They're going to Oklahoma and Arizona and Iowa, Minnesota and Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and then into Colorado. It was an interesting life. And I didn't know that that first fall, I would get a chance to be invited to speak at a hunter's banquet up in Walden, Colorado. I told you all about a year or so ago a, a little story about called the Dora Lake story. I don't know if you remember it, but I did. I says, I'm going to write a book about that one of these days. Well, 40 years has passed since 1968. And so I'm proceeding to finally get to where I'm going to put this thing together. I mentioned it to the pastor that was in northern Minnesota. He is now in Alaska. He was the pastor at the church that I split. This is 40 years later. So I asked him if he would write a little thing about the incident or what took place. Because it dealt with the subject of Calvinism versus Arminianism. Now, I am not a Calvinist, but that's how it was perceived. Only because they believed in eternal security, but their eternal security was in the perseverance of the saints. That if you're really saved, you will live the life. And if you don't live the life, it means that you weren't really saved, and that's why you lost it. You never had it to start with. So... He wrote this, and it kind of goes along with what we're reading about the great apostle Paul and the trouble that he caused everywhere he went. I really did not know at that time how even destructive the gospel can be to mainstream religions. It's like an atomic bomb when people really see it. So this was written, which will be at the beginning part of the book that we're putting together. I don't know if I can read it the way that I believe he says it, because it, it really flows when you just read it and you take the time, but I'll do the best I can. He says, nestled in amongst the Norway pines in the heart of the Chippewa National Forest, 
in northern Minnesota lies a very unique little community called Dora Lake. To make a visit to that beautiful wooded paradise is to step back into time. The rest of the world didn't wait for Dora Lake in its mad rush for advancement and modernization. For instance, the first blacktop road came that way about 1962. Most of the other roads in the area amounted to nothing more than narrow graded trails through the woods with little gravel and shallow ditches. Many of the homes were without water or bathroom facilities. The most popular heating stove to keep out the 40 below winter weather was the romantic barrel stove. It took nearly a day's work to keep it glowing near red hot through the long cold days and bitter nights of the Minnesota winters. Needless to say, this type of living produced a hearty lot of men and women. Men who could wrestle a chainsaw all day long cutting pulp for the hungry mills in Grand Rapids or International Falls. Having to wade three to four feet of snow on a cold blistery morning as they headed into the woods to fell the trees to make a few bucks so they could pay their bill at the local general store was all taken in stride as a good way of life. Fall in the trees, skidding the logs, plowing the snow, driving the trucks and are repairing the saw in the snow with freezing hands and nose was all part of the day's work. The women matched their men deed for deed while at their side in the woods. Here were some of the best cooks in the state, making their own bread and cakes, canning the venison and vegetables, cleaning the fish and cooking the meals. They were masters at their trade. If you've never tasted homemade noodles covered with chicken and gravy, you've missed a dish fit for a king. These women could and did carry water, split wood, build a fire, raise kids, well, like nobody you've ever saw. These people worked hard, and they played hard, and also they prayed hard. Yep, they were a very religious people. They could quote their Bibles and sing their hymns. They believed in making their religion a big part of their everyday lives. They were clean living and fun loving, honest, industrious citizens whose religion kept them fighting the liquor traffic in their local township. They neither drank nor smoked. They neither played cards nor danced. The movies were sinful, but TV was one of their favorite pastimes. Those who were outside the church were known around for being as bad as the church members were known for being good. Many communities are known for the hypocrites in the churches, but here at Dora Lake it was different. One was either a believer or a non-believer. You either went to church three times a week or you never darkened the door. You either lived clean and righteous or you indulged in every sin in the book. The lines were firmly drawn. It was just that cut and dried. If and when a sinner decided to change his ways and join the believers and seek for salvation, the rest of the community watched and wondered how long it would last. And it became a favorite topic of conversation for the time being. Almost as often as there was a sinner getting religion, there was a saint falling away. 
For several in the community, this type of save one day, lost the next, was as common as was the change of the seasons. The religion taught and lived there in the woods was truly the fire and brimstone kind with great emphasis placed on sin and damnation. It was believed that it was necessary for one seeking salvation to turn from all his sins and then live a righteous and holy life. For the most part, this theology had served well in keeping the saints in line and holding the standard high for the cause of God. Sadly, it also served to alienate many of the younger generation from the church and from the hearing of the simple gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Many had tried walking the sawdust trail several times. I, a direct quote from one who had seriously sought to get right with God was, I've walked the sawdust trail 40 times and got nothing. What was wrong? He thought maybe God didn't want him. Most who had tried a few times in seeking to get religion felt rejected and remained on the outside looking in. Many of these younger lumberjacks had made attempt after attempt to clean up their lives and live like the great old saints of the church. They succeeded for the most part for a day or two. Sometime a few desperate ones held out for several months then only to fall back into their old habits of sin and lost again, only to now be a little harder the next time they felt God's Spirit convict them and drawn them to religion. They were still far away from God's real plan of salvation. So what is the use of trying? Many of them wanted to be saved. I heard them several. I heard from several who made the statement, when I know that I can live the life, then I'll become a Christian. Consequently, they were never ready to be saved because they could never live the life they knew was expected of them and in what they thought they saw in the church members. Most of them were related to those in the church. Many of the old saints fostered this kind of thinking because they also emphasized living the life. They did believe in Christ as their Savior, but at the same time believed it was absolutely necessary to live the life in order to get to heaven. Many times in a testimony, meeting in a little church on the corner, a dear old saint would say, I'm glad I'm going to heaven because I'm living as near as I know how to what God wants and expects. Now you and I know Certain language like this is a dead giveaway. They don't understand the gospel. Truly, they were living as near as they knew how, and God blessed them for it. The tragedy of it all is in that they were dependent on their living the life to get them to God's heaven. It happened here in the lovely St. Luke community of Dora Lake as it has happened untold times and places before to people who are desirous to live godly. Self-righteousness creeps in, and the saint sees his own self-righteous living as being of equal value, if not more, to the shed blood of Christ. 
Hence, salvation no longer rests on the finished work of Christ on the cross to be accepted and believed by faith alone. But it becomes a faith plus living the life. The result of this kind of theology was that the saints indeed gave it their best shot to live the life as best they knew how. After all, their salvation in part depended upon it. For the younger generation, it meant utter hopelessness. In their lost condition, they could not live the life. And without the proper understanding of the gospel, they could never be saved and to ever begin to live the life. That's why the end of their many times of trying to get saved was slipping right back into their old life again. They were honest enough to admit they had sinned and soon said, What's the use of trying when I keep losing my salvation after a day or two? For those established in the church, it meant either they had to overlook a lot of things that were sin, or else they were continually lost and had to be saved again every time they committed a sin. One man who was among the number of believers in a part of the church for many years made the following statement. If I see a pretty girl and have wrong thoughts about her and then step into the street and get hit by a truck, I'm going straight to hell. His salvation was always on the line of dependence as to how well he lived the life. From close observation, from a pastor's viewpoint, it seems that for the most part they disregarded all but a few of the outward sins, and so felt they lived the life acceptably. As long as they didn't smoke, drink, swear, or commit adultery, they felt a measure of security by living the life. And thus, they continued year after year, guided by this warped view of sin, and their need to live the best they knew how. Outwardly, they were without spot, they thought. Doctrinally, they were evangelical, they thought. Religiously, they were faithful and zealous, they thought. Spiritually, they were spirit-filled, they thought. Their judgment is up to God. What did he think? Thus, the Dora Lake Church and community was ripe for revival. Hearts were ready to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Ralph Yankee Arnold, better known as Yankee, stepped into the pulpit of the Dora Lake Church on March 1969. He was God's prophet for the time and place. It was in the fall of 1968, hunting season, and hunting was a mighty big sport that all of the men and several women looked forward to all year. That year, the pastor and several men in the community, some of them attended the church, went on an elk hunt in Colorado. They stayed at a camp with several other hunters who were all excited about their chance at a trophy elk. The evening before the hunt, the camp owners put on a dinner for all the hunters. And it seems that many other hunters were invited from the area too. After dinner, they were introduced to the speaker who inspired them and challenged them from the Word of God. His name was Ralph Yankee Arnold, 
Everyone was so impressed with his clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the men invited him to come to the church at Dora Lake for some special meetings. He agreed to come to Dora Lake in March of the next year, 1969. Now, it makes you want to read the rest of the story, doesn't it? It's supposed to. But I didn't write this. I've got about eight different people who have wrote some things because it's hard to explain to people what really happened. And it was over 40 years ago. And it deals with the subject of people believing that you can be saved today and then lost tomorrow. And what happened and how I got blackballed in two major denominations in one year after I got out of Bible college. How that the first church that I preached in after becoming a pastor or assistant pastor in Colorado, I split the church wide open. And there were people who wanted to do me in and they wanted to meet with me and tar and feather me and ride me out of town on the rail. All kinds of interesting things. But anyway, I thought, this is what the Word of God is talking about. The gospel The truth of the gospel is so powerful that you and I, because we hear it all the time, take it for granted. Everybody's heard that. Or we've heard that so many times, we get tired of hearing it over and over and over again. If you get tired of hearing it, think of how many times I've had to say it. I've been saying the same thing for almost 50 years. And I never get tired of hearing it or telling it. It's the most powerful thing in the world. It's enough to save a man's soul and to give him the free gift of eternal life. And he can know that he's going to heaven whenever he dies. You see, when you tell a person that Jesus Christ really did pay for all the sins of the world. And that by trusting him and him alone, he gives you eternal life as a free gift that very moment. And in the future will never cast you out, never lose you. It automatically comes in a person's mind. Are you trying to tell me that I can trust Christ as my Savior and live any way that I want and still go to heaven when I die? Yes. That's exactly what I'm trying to get people to see. Any preacher who will tell you other than that isn't fit for the ministry. He's not a good man. He's a liar. You can tell him I said so. I don't care what church, up and down the streets. If you do not believe in eternal security, that once you're saved, you are always saved, they do not understand the gospel. We're not just another church like all the other churches. We are different and we are unique because of the truth and the power of the gospel itself. Now that I've said my opening remarks, let's go back to the book of Acts. And chapter 9. In verse 20, straightway or immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues. And the reason was, is because when they went to the synagogue, they would open it up and let you talk. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I could just mosey into anybody's church and they say, Who would like to speak this morning? I had one guy, 
by the name of Jack Mathias. He, he was a rough dude. It was out in Colorado. I didn't want to even go see him because of what I'd heard. It was almost like going to see Paul. But this man, he would beat you up himself. And he didn't need any document from anybody or approval. He would just do it. He was a barroom brawler. He was a weightlifter. Muscles all over the place. Built kind of like myself. <laughs> and this guy, he latched on to it and he saw it was by grace and not by works. I, I, I never did get through to him about how to serve the Lord. He just took that message, that gospel, and man, he would preach it to everybody. But he had trouble kind of, you know, cleaning up his life and watching what he said or how he said things. He was just crude and rude, and he would get a hold of him and say, Now, you trust the Lord. I said, Jack, you can't do that. It was the only way he knew, but he did it. And some of them trust the Lord because they knew they could die at any moment. He says, Yankee, let me tell you what happened. I said, well, what happened, Jack? He was always calling me up telling me what happened. He says, you won't believe it. He says, I went by the Mormon church. He says, and I just thought I'll just walk in and see what's going on. Now, he wasn't a faithful guy. He would do things in spurts. But he walked by a Mormon church. And he walked in and he went into their little Sunday school class. He says, there were about 10, 15 of them in there. He says, and when he walked in, they asked him, is anybody like to say anything? Well, Jack says, yes. So they thought he would say something wonderful about the religion of Mormonism. He didn't. He hit the gospel as strong and as clear as he knew how to hit it. And they didn't know what to do with him. Because, I mean, what would you have done with him? And he talks in a very intimidating way. But he would tell me what he did. And then he would do different things. It was just incredible things. But he didn't think about it. He just did it. You know, just do it. Well, the Apostle Paul goes into the synagogue. And I just want you to see this right quick. Look there in chapter 13. Chapter 13. And uh, look in verse, um, verse 15, where it talks about, yeah, verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up. And that's how they got their opportunity. So they would go to the synagogues and they'd wait for the right moment and boom. And uh, you never know what was going to happen. Remember at one time Jesus did that. And he says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So go back to Acts in chapter 9 and verse 20. Where he says, and he preached that Jesus Christ was the son of God. By saying he is the son of God, you're deciding, he is deity, he is God in the flesh. And that's what it referred to, that's what it meant. It's also mentioned that up there in verse 22, 
But first of all, verse 21, but all that heard him were amazed. And says, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on his name or this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. See, he had a testimony that preceded him. People knew about this man. But see, God got a hold of him. God can change people. Do you have to be baptized in water to be saved and go to heaven? Would that make the person who baptized you your savior? There are at least five baptisms in the Bible. Which one gets you to heaven? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book, or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me